Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about how new technology is making faster and more efficient rockets, a new bandage that might be able to heal wounds faster than the body, and how we've seen some new connections between the brain and the gut through a study of irritable bowel syndrome. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. For years, science fiction has been full of stories of people traveling to other worlds, and that's something we've been working on. But other worlds are really far away, and so far, none of our methods of transportation can really get us too far out of our own little orbit range. We made it to the moon, but we haven't really gotten any farther, at least not with manned ships. And a big part of that is the limitations of our fuel system. But there's been a recent breakthrough that might expand the range of how far we can travel, and it's some pretty exciting stuff. Okay, so a new form of travel. I'm interested. I'm curious about this. How are they doing this? All right, so the general idea of how the travel works with, you know, rocket booster pushing us in the little capsule, that's the same. But it's the booster itself, the method of thrust. Scientists have created something called a helicon double-layer thruster. That can't be real. It apparently is the real name. (laughs) The the helicon double-layer thruster, which I admit does sound like something that they would have just made up on Star Trek when they're trying to push buttons on the computer and fix the problem. But the Helicon Double Layer Thruster, which we're going to call the HDLT, is a prototype Mm -hmm. plasma thruster propulsion system, which I admit doesn't make it sound any more real and less Star Trek-y, but that's true. And this could help us go through space a lot faster and more safely than our current methods. This injects gas into a tube where radio frequency electromagnetically ionizes gas, creating a highly charged plasma. Then a low-frequency electromagnetic helicon wave expands out of an antenna's electromagnetic field, further heating up the plasma. Okay, so you've given me a lot of different images (laughs) in my head, but I'm a little bit thrown off here. Uh, Okay, electromagnetic helicon wave. So some sort of spiraling wave of plasma. What does this have to do with space? All right. So these sort of magnetic nozzle thrusters accelerate plasma to give a spacecraft thrust. And historically, there's been one major problem, which is that natural magnetic plasma flows usually get released, which leads to that thrust happening. But until this experiment, scientists had a lot of trouble emulating this in a laboratory. Magnetic field lines like these create closed loops So you need a mechanism that would manually release that plasma flow in order for thrust to occur. And HDLT did this in a vacuum chamber, a a whole room where all the air and other gases are removed by a vacuum pump. And this creates a stable, low-pressure environment, which is ideal for testing anything related to outer space because it most closely resembles the lack of atmosphere, the lack of anything that we find in outer space. And in terms of how it works, like think of it kind of like a microwave. Microwaves are electromagnetic radiation, and they use waves of electrical and magnetic energy moving through space to do things like heat up your food or send communications from point A to point B. It's kind of a controlled expulsion of energy, which is exactly what the HDLT is doing. Does that make any more sense? I I know this is... This is very technical and complicated. (laughs) Got to remember, this is 
literally literal rocket, rocket science. science. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It is it's very complicated stuff. Okay, yeah, that that does help and and you know to our listeners, uh, I'm just going to say it, there there's going to be, you know, a little bit of confusion here because again, as you're saying, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is a little bit beyond maybe what we can give you over a podcast without a visual, but pretty close. Now, I am curious Plasma propulsion is something that we haven't, as far as I'm aware, attempted. Currently, we use chemical propulsion. So why is this better? All right. Like you say, right now, rockets and other spacecraft are launched through chemical propulsion. But the burn rate of these chemicals used to propel the craft is a lot less efficient. Chemical propulsion creates small levels of something called specific impulse, which is a measure of how efficiently an engine can create thrust. Since this thrust isn't as efficient, the velocity is reduced, and reduction in velocity means slower rockets, and given the expanse of space, the distances we're talking about, slower rockets means space travel takes way, way longer. Sure, sure. Um, Just by using the word thrust, all I can think about now is Chicken Run, where they are being (laughs) propelled through the air trying to get them over the fence. Uh, I understand that they probably didn't need plasma propulsion for that, but (laughs) you're saying that, (laughs) probably not, Um, but you're saying that chemical propulsion is slower. So what's the difference? How much slower? So the fastest speed a chemical rocket can go with our tech is about 36,000 miles per hour. But Still pretty fast. A plasma rocket using this tech could theoretically reach speeds of 123,000 miles per hour. Both of those are far faster than the chickens in Chicken Run needed, I'm sure. Because Can we survive that? Well, it's not the velocity <laughs> that is a problem. It's the acceleration. So as long as we ramp up to it safely, <laughs> we should be fine. But to to bring that into a little bit more perspective, that's nearly 34 miles per second. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, additionally, the plasma rocket uses 100 million times less fuel than a chemical rocket. That's insane. Okay. So again, everything you're talking about sounds very hypothetical. When is this supposed to be public? So the breakthrough may have been accomplished in a lab, but the implementation into flight systems is definitely still a while away. It's unclear for sure if this method would work in the infinite space, since a vacuum chamber room on Earth isn't a perfect analog for actual outer space. Sure. And there's still a number of questions remaining about the endurance of the system. But the researchers do hope to develop a flight model soon. And since NASA is currently aiming to bring humans to Mars the next few years, tech like the HDLT could make that a lot smoother and more possible. Might make it a lot easier for those chickens in Chicken Run. They are going to escape their confinement (laughs) way more than they had in mind. So, Nate, have you heard the expression before that some wounds never heal? Sure. I, I, yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, there is actually some new technology that is going to prove that wrong. Okay, I I do think that usually that phrase is referring to like emotional wounds. (laughs) So Which would be cool, but I feel like that's not what you're talking about. It is not. This is a device created at Stanford that is meant to help with something called chronic wounds. So wounds that last for a really long time. Now, usually these are results of infections or diabetes, weak immune systems, things like that. And chronic wounds can last months, which 
actually does lead to some Mm. emotional damage because it can lead to anxiety or depression. Now, treating these wounds is also really expensive. They can cost billions of dollars across the world annually to try and take care of them. So anything that could speed up the process of a chronic wound is going to help a lot. And all of this takes place in a bandage. All right. So bandages are not what I would call a new invention. So I'm assuming there's something very (laughs) special about this particular kind of bandage that speeds it up more. Just a little bit. So these bandages are able to speed up tissue repair. That means that wounds get closed quicker, blood flow gets increased to the injury, skin gets recovered faster. That means likely less scarring formation. Um, All of this comes outfitted with wireless sensors that pay attention to when a wound isn't healing fast enough or if an infection is formed. Now, when either of these things happen, they send a signal to the bandage's computer. Yes, this bandage has a computer to send more electrical stimulation across the wound to help accelerate tissue closure And all of this can be monitored from your smartphone. It does kind of remind me of stories we've done before about smart clothing, which is a a textile that's got stuff in it that lets it generate power to, you know, charge a cell phone or something like that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So we've we've got thin textiles with tech in them that let them do more than you might expect just looking at them. So yes and no. It's very... I don't want to say similar because I'm not sure if some of the technology is, but it is comparable because this is also an incredibly thin material. The whole thing is just about 100 microns thick, which really, really thin. It's just slightly thicker than human hair or about as thick as a coat of latex paint. And in the bandage, there's a microcontroller unit a radio antenna, electrical stimulator, biosensors, and more. Now, the nice thing is it feels a little bit like latex too, so it's not too uncomfortable to wear. Plus, some researchers believe that latex, if you're not allergic to it, actually (laughs) helps the healing process. And this specific kind of latex is carefully designed to stick securely to the wound while also being able to be pulled away cleanly and gently with no harm, so less skin damage around the wound itself. Now, this, in combination with electrical stimulation, helps the wound heal quickly and safely. I don't think I've ever heard of electrical stimulation being used to heal wounds before. Like, uh, shocking a wound is supposed to help? (laughs) I might be misunderstanding, like, the quantities and voltages and levels here. But what is the benefit of the electrical stimulation? Okay, so that's actually something the researchers discovered, as we say sometimes on the show— entirely by accident. (laughs) So the electrical stimulation promotes activation of pro-regenerative genes called selenop or selenop, just depends on how you want to say this. Now, selenop is an anti-inflammatory gene that helps with pathogen clearance and wound repair. Uh, This can also activate the gene APOE, which increases muscle and soft tissue growth. Electrical stimulation increases the amount of white blood cells in the body. So all of this is going to help heal your wound faster. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. Currently, I can buy a 100-pack of Band-Aids for like $6. I'm assuming this is not quite so readily available. Not quite. So, again, we say this a lot on the show. This is currently a proof of concept. Um, There's actually only one. And Mm. unless the study can get more funding... There will only ever be one. Now, that's not to say there won't be more because this was incredibly promising and a lot of people are interested in it, but a lot of problems do remain. The number one fact is that the device isn't cost efficient. So how much did you say a box of bandages costs? Uh, I 
I was making up a price, but I said $6. (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) One of these would cost hundreds of dollars just to produce one. Scientists are also experiencing a data storage issue. So a lot of this information that passes back and forth from the bandage to your smartphone, it disappears after about a day. And the computer and the bandage simply isn't strong enough yet. So that is something that they need to work on when dealing with something, you know, so thin and, you know, so delicate technically. And the third is a physical problem. Uh, There's something called hydrogel rejection. Now, this is where the human skin might react negatively to the hydrogel that creates the latex texture on the device. So this isn't like a latex allergy that could be fatal, but it can be incredibly painful and it can create a bad gel to skin combination. So that combined with maybe the sensors breaking could also lead to irritation. So there's a few things that they still need to work through. All right. Really cool concept. Sounds like the prototype had some great stuff going for it. Definitely some issues to work out. Are they things that the researchers feel they can fix going forward? Yes, and that's the cool part. They think 100% of this can be fixed, even though the smart bandage isn't ready for market right now because enough people are interested. It could take a little bit of time. It's going to need a lot of funding, but we might have an easy, mobile, and cheap solution in the future for chronic injuries, and it's going to help a lot of people. Most people will tell you to uh, listen to your brain, not your gut, but I'm here to propose maybe we listen to both since the two are actually a lot closer tied than we initially believed. You know, you made fun of me in a previous story for not understanding metaphors, but I am curious as to what you mean now. All right, there's been some research over the past few years on something called the gut-brain axis, the link between how our brains process what we feel in our stomachs as well as how our stomachs process whatever the brain is telling them. Turns out there's a strong link between emotional stress and gut dysfunction. I mean, I would assume that anybody would be emotional if they had something called gut dysfunction, but... <laughs> Jill, that's fair. I'm, I'm talking more about how symptoms resembling irritable bowel syndrome occur because of repeated emotional stress. If you don't know, irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, is a common disorder that affects the gastrointestinal tract. Symptoms include cramping and abdominal pain, bloating, gas, diarrhea, and or constipation. Then unfortunately, there's no cure for IBS. If you have it, you have it for life. And even worse, there isn't much of an understanding in how the mechanisms and treatments of IBS even work. That all sounds awful. Well, thankfully, you can figure out ways to live with IBS. But for years, people have been trying to crack the code on how IBS works. So maybe, just maybe, it can be cured which is where scientists from the Tokyo University of Science come in. I mean, okay, this sounds like a worthwhile study, so what did they find? Well, one of the problems with researching IBS has been a lack of reliable animal testing models. So these researchers developed a method using mice that created stress-induced psychiatric disorders, also called CVSDS, and found that the animals showed symptoms resembling irritable bowel syndrome as a result of repeated emotional stress. They found that the psychological stress-induced mice showed a higher level of intestinal transit ratio and visceral pain-related behaviors, both of which are hallmarks of IBS. Okay, I'm going to need you to back up for a minute and explain stress-induced disorders to me. Yeah, the scientist would subject mice to physical or emotional stress every day, whether they experienced it or witnessed it, for 10 minutes a day for 10 days straight. And then on day 11, they did a social interaction test to evaluate how stressed out each mouse was. Then they evaluated each mouse based on how their intestines were holding up, inside and out. 
So, let me get this straight. A bunch of scientists got together, they stressed a mouse out for 10 days straight, and then they watched it poop. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. it I mean, it's an oversimplification, <laughs> of course, but yes. So each mouse's passage of stool was elevated at a higher rate if they went through emotional stress, and the effects were seen for as long as a month after the experiment. Interestingly, there was no difference if they went through physical stress. But what this means is that chronic stress in mice provokes IBS-like symptoms without actually creating any long-term intestinal issues. Huh. Okay. So what does that mean in the long run? Well, their study highlights how a CVSDS method of studying mice can be advantageous for studying the link between psychological stress and IBS. The researchers still have a lot of work to do, but they believe that IBS could be triggered by stimulating the insular cortex in the brain. All right, I've got no idea what an insular cortex is. That's, I mean, very understandable. It's the part of the upper central nervous system that controls digestive functions. And it's also involved in how our bodies cope with psychological stress. Oh, okay. So it's a part of the brain that actually keeps communication open between the gut and the mind. Exactly. And it's believed that further research could rely on CVSDS to learn more about IBS, including how it can potentially be cured. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Could we soon have a way to travel at 34 miles per second? The creation of a brand new Helicon thruster seems to have cracked the code on plasma space travel, which is at worst four times faster than chemical space travel, and at best, a revolutionary way to envision a trip to Mars in our lifetime. The new system is still a prototype, but if all goes according to plan, we'll see you on Mars in a few years. Chronic injuries be gone. A new bandage is in town, and she's wireless and smart. Scientists have created a wireless smart bandage that has the ability to not only monitor your injuries, but speed up their recovery. Unfortunately, it remains a proof of concept for now, but the project is far enough along that with the right funding, we might be closer to a future that fights chronic injury than we previously believed. For the first time ever, scientists have figured out a way to monitor connections between the gut and the brain in a breakthrough for studies on irritable bowel syndrome. We might not know how to cure IBS now, but now that we know how it can be triggered, there's a chance we might be able to figure out how to reverse it. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get podcasts, and we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery executive producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by us, Callie Gade and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni. Writing is done by Jed Bookout and James Lynch. Our researcher is Julia Schrader. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week.